I'm Gary Bard, founder and editor-in-chief of today's Caregiver Magazine and Caregiver.com, and your host for our weekly caregiving podcast series. In this podcast, we will introduce you to many of the leading caregiving thought leaders, authors, experts, and even caregivers with famous faces who have graced the covers of our magazine. It's a pleasure to be talking with William Fleming, PharmD, who's a segment president of healthcare services for Humana. Why is learning to care for themselves so very crucial for family caregivers? Well, Gary, I, I tell you, as, as we do our work uh, here at Humana, uh, there's a lot of things we do to uh, identify our members who uh, need help from their own health and their own health experience. And sometimes we have a lot of our members who have caregivers for themselves, and sometimes we find that our members are caregivers for others. And, you know, as we do all of our work, whether we run predictive models, whether we use analytics to identify that, you know, uh, this certain person or that certain person has multi, multiple chronic conditions, and they've been had several hospitalizations in the past year. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll show up on, on the, in that member's home, whether it's uh, on the phone or physically going into the home uh, with them, and we'll, we'll find that there's a circumstance that exists in their life. And you know, recently in the last six months, we we have a story that we've been telling about Joe, and Joe's a a female a Humana member, um, nearly 80 years old. Uh, multiple chronic conditions, and um, you know when we first reached out to Joe, uh, what we found um, was that Joe had in the prior year had had multiple uh, visits to the ER, multiple visits to the hospital, and so we were we were calling her about her own health issues, and uh, it took a few phone calls to get Joe comfortable with why would a health plan, why would a company like us be calling her. And we had to develop that trust. But once we got that trust developed, one of the things we found, um, and we call it social determinants of health, you know, that which is going on in your in your life. Um, what we found was that Joe, um, she cared about her own health, but what she really cared about and where she spent her last dollar was for her forty uh, uh, some year old uh, disabled son, for whom she is the caregiver. And what we further found is that. Joe's every last dollar uh, was being spent on uh, her son. And so we're showing up wanting to help Joe. What we recognized is we're not going to have the privilege of helping Joe uh, for her own health needs until we're able to help her solve some of the needs for her son. And so, you know, caring for Joe required us to first help facilitate things for her disabled son. And a lot of the things we did there was connect her and him with. Uh, community resources, uh, other access to, you know, some certain charities and funds, uh, access to certain, you know, uh, equipment and technology that was needed. And over time, we're able to solve some of those real-world issues for her son that then allowed us to take care of, of things for Joe, like the fact that uh, she was smoking, the fact that she, had, had, you know, was a little overweight, the fact that she wasn't taking all of her medicines as prescribed and wasn't eating as well because she was under all that stress. And it's it's that idea of caring for yourself requires us to understand the context of your life. And in that example of Joe, the most important thing to her was her son. 
until we solve, help solve for that, we weren't going to solve the the opportunities to help Joe really uh, deal with her own health and 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 so that that's been a, a powerful story that over the last really six to seven months we've been able to uh, to demonstrate uh, for for her and really for ourselves that that we can help make a difference um, in in someone's life um, and really in, in a couple of people's lives in that example. You know that is such a great story for every professional caregiver or care advocate to hear because we always say that caring for yourself is job one but if your focus is on your focus is on your dad or your mom or your your disabled son you're not hearing the message of self-care and if you don't hear the message of self-care it can ne- negatively affect the person you're caring for so I really appreciate that. That's that's a way of getting yourself into the psyche of the person you're trying to help and realize you can't do a thing until you are able to support the person that they're primarily interested in. Have you found ways for any of a caregiver to practice self-care? Because it, it's like any exercise. You just got to keep practicing until it becomes part of your ritual. For me personally, I, I, I've been uh, a caregiver. Um, it's been a, a, a few years ago, but my first wife uh, passed away uh, with Hodgkin's disease um, when I was uh, 33. She was 34, had a 20-month-old, and and so in that you know run up to her, her passing, you know, being a caregiver to someone who ultimately ended up being terminal was was something that that in reflection. I personally did a terrible job, yeah. although I'm in the industry, I'm a clinician by training, I should know better. I did a terrible job with my own self, and, you know, both in how I ate, uh, what, how I exercised, the inherent stress you're under, the added stress that you put yourself under, and and I, I just, you know, reflecting back on it, I, I think if I were to have gone through that again, I, I think it is trying to understand those inherent stresses that honestly those are just things you can't solve for um because it's just part of you know the the process but it's the added stress um that you've got to really think about dealing with and and making sure that you you take a time out you take that respite as you as you talked about earlier uh, for yourself um, because you got to do that and i know i know a lot of um, caregivers probably feel guilty by taking a, a little time off and whether that's an hour or two hours, an afternoon or a day, um, you know, taking a little bit of a time out when you can to, to uh, have time for yourself. Um, and if it's just as simple as being able to eat a healthy meal or just take a, a walk, um, I don't think you have to do, you know, crazy things to uh, to take care of yourself to give you that peace of mind, uh, to give you that mental capacity to uh, to help. Um, now, obviously, you know things aren't as easy as just taking an hour off, um, especially when you're always on. But but you've got to you got to find that right rhythm for you that 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 helps and be intentional about it. I think if you're not intentional, it, it gets challenging. What it sounds like is if you can't find a way to put yourself back into the circle of care, if you can't find a way to build in care for yourself, you're negatively affecting your ability to care for your loved one. Yeah, I think it's fair, and you know, I, in in a way, you could you could you could use a metaphor, you know, sort of like on the airlines, you know, when they all give us that, uh, you know, that 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 
that little quick training up front when we all sit down and they said, you know, when the oxygen mask comes down, put yours on first before you help others. And and sometimes we got to put on the oxygen mask as a caregiver so that we have the ability and the capacity to help others. What kind of stories are you hearing from other family members that your team that your team members are telling you from around the country? One of the things that has come forward that we're going to be piloting here uh, later this um, second half of, of, of 2019 of this year is this idea of, of a virtual care team hmm. where, you know, we all have these, you know, iPhones or Android devices or whatever, and, and you know, we all are connected in some way uh, for the most part. And uh, the ability to create a virtual care team of, your doctor, your nurse, your pharmacist, your dietitian, your therapist, your you know, your 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 family member and loved one and but but have an asynchronous way of communicating with one another that allows you to take care of both the, 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 the person, the patient, but also the caregiver and and so there's you know a few things we're testing there. One is um the idea of a virtual care team and the other one is um likely a specific use case in um in dementia and, and really trying to understand you know can we um is a means of helping the patient with dementia really uh, the main way to do that is to help the caregiver deal with the patient with dementia so on the first thing in terms of virtual care team imagine imagine being able to have a a platform if you will that's web enabled that's got digital that allows you know the the nurse to say, "Hey, I, you know, met with the patient today, and here was the blood pressure and their blood sugar and those sorts of things, and reported up." Imagine the family member to be able to say, "Yeah, I came in, and, you know, see mom this morning, and she ate well, or, you know, came in at lunchtime, and you know, she she wasn't feeling so good." Um, imagine the nurse coming back that afternoon to say, "Hey, while well, that that wound that she's got for di- you know because of her diabetes." It, it, here's a picture of it, and and hey, doc, what should we do? And it, it allows the doctor to look at it quickly and say, oh, apply treatment number three to it. And but but you get the idea of creating that sort of care team that's versatile around the person, so there's more real time, real world, uh, consistent feedback. We we want to we want to test the power of that and how it works not only to help the patient but also help the caregiver. And at the same time, if you take that use the use case around um, Alzheimer's, you know, in today's world, so many of us, you know, work, are at work during the day, and by the time we get home at night after a long day at work, it's six thirty, seven o'clock at night, um, long day at the office or whatever, and, and you, you get to the loved one's home, and if they have dementia, you know, sundowning is is a big impact, and and sundowning is where you know your normal rhythm causes you know patients with dementia to be agitated. In today's world, you know, your, your choice oftentimes is to take the patient to the ER, and which results in a hospitalization and really a place they don't want to be. Imagine having a caregiver strategy where you help that caregiver deal with that patient with dementia so that you're better able to know how to deal with sundowning or that agitation or those things that, that come with some of those types of diseases. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to be you know, proactive, use technology where we can, 
but test and learn. And a lot of that comes out of conversation we have with our folks out in the field because they see these things and they, they know they need better tools to create capacity to, to help these things be solved. I think that does two things, and it's brilliant. First, it helps with isolation. That caregiver is not sitting alone at home thinking, nobody's going through this, I don't know what to do, I just, you know, because that's that leads to terrible things. And second, it allows the caregiver to become an equal member of the the care team in a sense where they can interact and ask yeah. questions and be up with the team at at all hours and and feel like they weren't just literally uh, abandoned and i think that once this is implemented you'll be saving a lot of caregiver lives as well you know it's funny you mentioned that that the isolation piece and the maybe even the loneliness piece you know when you go from good health to bad health uh one of the things that inherently happens is there's an isolation. You go from having your network of friends, if you're the patient, to now you're taking care of yourself 24-7 and or someone's taking care of you and you're not able to get up and out. You, you lose your relevance. You lose your mobility. You lose your freedom. And there is an isolation that comes with that. I think it also happens with caregivers. And so this idea of isolation and loneliness in the face of, of you know, tough disease situations is a, is a real thing. And and you know this example of this of this type of um, you know virtual care team um, you know we don't know where it could go we don't know what it looks like but we we, we have a belief that there's probably something good in that and that's why we want to test it out and, and figure out what what good things it can solve for us. When we see caregivers over the last 25 years, it's inevitable that most caregivers think that they're the only ones going through it. No one knows what they're going through. They're they're isolated. The only time they have time to talk to the doctors, the you know, eight minutes once a month or whatever. And so the more we can involve them and the more we can put them into the we call the fearless caregiver paradigm, where the patient's in the middle and everybody surrounds them with support and advice and love, including the caregiver, I I think you you get a much more positive outcome for the patient, but also for the family caregiver. Yeah, Gary, I think that's right. And you know, if you think about that second use case I, I just talked, I mentioned around dementia. I, I'd actually submit to you that the the person that we're we're wrapping the resources around is the caregiver. That yeah. it, what we're really trying to do there is enable the caregiver to deal with that patient with dementia, because the patient with dementia probably is not really enabled to understand how to deal with themselves in many respects. So that that, that that example is really a model of, of saying, hey, how can we wrap these types of resources around the caregiver to help them? As a matter of fact, when you're dealing with certain issues, like anything with cognitive uh, challenges or pediatrics, um, we really believe and follow the path of calling it kind of a latest, greatest thing everyone's calling things is patient-centric, which is great because it should be. But we, we call it caregiver-centric. You know, just like you're saying, like you have to give the best medical and you know, physical support to the person's loved one, but your real your real client is the family caregiver. And you know, you're, I, I I might borrow that from you. I'll give you full credit for for that one as we as we advance some of this. That I, that notion of caregiver centric. I'm not sure we we put that that specific wording in our in our thinking, but I, I think that that's a good way of describing. Some of this is how how do we how you know where 
when is it the right time to wrap your resources around the patient, uh, the member in our case? When is it the right time to wrap the resources around the caregiver, the idea of caregiver-centric? There clearly are cases where that's actually the right place to be, and, and that's an example of why we want to test that that cognitive uh, opportunity around dementia. So all all our programming for the last 25 years has been based on on that because if you if you go past the caregiver, you know a lot of times it, the, the person's uh, with uh, cognitive issues is sitting in the doctor's office, and unfortunately they get ignored by the doctor, the medical team, and it they know something's wrong. It doesn't feel right. And the flip side of that is if all the effect and all the support is given to the uh, patient and the caregiver's just sitting in the lobby waiting to be told things, that's not good medical care either. So that's why I really appreciate what you're doing because it 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 wraps in all the stakeholders. You you got to be intentional and you got to recognize that as you go through these um you know life's challenges and opportunities that uh, be, you got to be intentional to uh, uh, be okay with taking care of yourself. Because um, if you don't put your oxygen mask on first, then you're not going to be of much use to uh, to that to that family member or, or loved one. And and that is so important um, as 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 we all go through these uh, through these opportunities. 